All right, welcome in. It is another episode of the Fezzik Focus Pod. I am AJ Hoffman. Hello. He is the only two-time Super Contest winner, Mr. Steve Fezzik. Steve, how are you, friend? I am excellent. How are you, AJ? I'm doing well. The new uh, the new day is working out for us, although today I had to come in. A, we do this early, early on uh, Thursday now. Uh, I had to come in a little late today because I'm a single dad this week. My wife's at a wedding, so I got to, like, you know, make sure my kids get to school and things like that. It's just... Uh, I'm exhausted. I'll be honest. So they get I, breakfast this morning. Uh, yes. Good. Yeah. Um, one of them ate a banana. The other ate a bag of Doritos. All right. So pretty balanced, I would say. And then of course we got donuts. They got and, lunch coming up. They'll yeah, be they'll be fine. They'll be, yeah, sure. Um, all right. Lots to get into today. I want to start with uh, a a listener. Submitted question from the Flying Wasp on Twitter, who says, hey, as a recreational better slash hedging mentality, I have a question. Let's say I have the third leg open of a three-team parlay to have cashed. In this example, which we know how this ended up, the third leg is the Maple Leafs to win the series against the Lightning. Let's say to win $1,000 total. I view this as an independent event. Forget the parlay and ask myself, would I bet $1,000 on the Maple Leafs right now for getting the other two legs? Usually the answer to that is no, and I hedge out, at least for my wager of the parlay, his initial wager. Um, Treating the last leg of two, three, or four-team parlays as independent, is that correct? Would love your Fez, your take, Fez. What do you think? No, it's not correct. And here's the reason. The, it's flawed on all aspects. Okay. It's similar to a poker player that breaks down a hand, all right? And it's a chain reaction of mistakes that can lead him to all kinds of bad results. So, example, I was under the gun with ace-jack offsuit and I limped in. All right, Bang. Right off the bat, you made a mistake. You should be raising or folding. Depends on the game with that ace-jack offsuit. So then as, as the hand continues, then there's more difficult decisions that have to be made. And none of these would have happened if you hadn't just folded your ace-jack. Don't play three-team parlays. Now you're saying, but Fez, he's in a good spot. He won his first two. Well, the problem with parlaying, you only parlay for three reasons. I hope I can remember them. One, they're correlated. Very nice. Um, You have a first half, Alabama minus 22 with the over 28 in the first half. Good bet. If a book will take a bet like that. Second, um, to go ahead and circumvent the limits. So a limit's $300 on something. You want to get down to 1000 You play five $200 parlays. Okay. Get down more money. Third reason, there's some kind of a correlation. uh, I'm sorry, some sort of uh, bonus payout. So... Maybe a two-teamer pays 14 to 5. Get, so you get paid more. You're only laying like 105.5 per leg. So that's a way of avoiding laying $1.10. Um, that one is the one that come. all these come up when I'm playing. But one of the things that happens, like I play ties win 10-teamers sometimes mm-hmm. on parlay cards. Because one, I get good numbers. So that's be the fourth reason. Get a number that wouldn't be available typically unless you played it in a parlay um, on a ties win parlay card. And I would get good, a, a much better payout playing 10-teamers than six or seven-teamers is the way the math works out. And then I have to hedge because, yes, um, I was forced to play 
the 10 teamer because I got better payouts and I got better numbers. This isn't the case here with this bet. He could have just bet the Maple Leafs to win the series. Fine. If his base bets $200, bet $200. But now he's got $1,000 in exposure on them. Um, I think he's saying it was a thousand. He would have won a thousand dollars had the third leg hit. So he's got four times the normal exposure. I assume he's making yeah. his base bet for the, the for the three team parlays. So just don't play three team parlays. Don't play parlays. Don't play parlays unless you're a pro. And you'll avoid situations like this where, wow, well now I'm betting four times more than I typically bet. So I want to hedge back the other way. And but you're not locking in anything. All you're doing is locking in a loss on the third leg. If you would have just played the two team parlay, bang, you're in the clubhouse, you win. So you cash your ticket. Now instead you gotta bet the lightning when you like Toronto, you see where I'm going. Yeah. Um and we even have pregame pros that do this, and it drives me effing crazy. And I and I refuse to recommend them. I refuse to ever recommend a pro that does things like he bets, um, oh, I'll do a two-team parlay with the Yankees and the Mets. And then the Mets win, and like, oh, now we're in a good spot. We um, we can bet back Baltimore because we've got the Yankees as our second leg in the parlay, and we can play the run line and play for the middle. No, no, wait, wait. You like the Yankees this morning. Now you want to bet Baltimore in the afternoon because you've got a two-teamer coming in. It, it makes zero mathematical sense. I get it. You're, you're, you're going to lock in a profit, yes, but you told me the Yankees had value early in the day. Now, if the Yankees you knew were going to steam like crazy, then it's fine because then you can play back on Baltimore and get a good number. But if if, if that wasn't part of your handicap, just at that point, you just have to let it ride. Even though you've overbet your bankroll, you can't make negative EV bets left and right in your life just to try to balance things out. I will say maybe I'm guilty of this sometime because, like, on UFC cards, I'll do this sometimes. Like, if because there's often fights that are I mean, there's no locks obviously but fights that are you know you went eight and one last week that's a, that's i think it's seven lock. and two but it was it was a strong day okay but the the locks like sometimes you'll you'll put two or three of them together and get yourself a little plus payout your big money line parlays you're yes. laying 320s to 280s to two six yeah so but I, I in your what you're saying is that's still not the right way and i'm not hedging back out like if i I mean, I just, you know, I'm usually going to put a unit down and say, hey, if this works, great. If it doesn't, and I'm not looking for the the plus one or, you know, plus a thousand payout. I'm usually looking for like plus 110, plus 115. I go back to value is value. You like like two guys and they're both minus 240. Just lay 240 to make 100 on both the bets. Don't play them together to make it. So you have a, a 500 to win 500 at even money. And you could say, but but I don't want to lay 240. I want to lay 100. Well, well, now you're laying 250 because as soon as you put them together in a parlay, I, now I know I know the UFC fights are not going concurrently, so they're one after they're another. Not. So so now you're just being lazy putting them in parlays because if you shopped around and you got the very best number of that minus 240 consensus, you probably could have gotten a minus 236, and then the dude wins, and then the bet cashes, and now you can go to another book you're shopping around and you can lay minus 230. But if you have to play them both at the same book or three games at the same book, now you gotta, you know, you're not going to get the best number in each and every fighter. 
And there was no reason not to do that because if you were engaged in betting during these fights, like I said, they're one at a time. So there's never yeah. a reason. Now, like some people argue, well, all the games are going on at once in baseball sometimes. It's still a, a flawed mathematical argument. But on USC, that would be an example. You could never make the case unless you said, hey, here's three minus 240 favorites, and I think they're all going to close minus 280, and I want to get down. And then we can, we can have a, a conversation about that, that you know the numbers are going to move. Fair enough. All right. Let's get into well your favorite topic, the USFL. And one, one, one last housekeeping point, and oh. you know, and also on the on, on those two minus two forties, you like, you really like both of them. What if your first guy lets you down and loses? Well, now you're betting zero on the second guy that you really like. You know, it's so so your bet sizing inherently on the second guy is either going to be forty percent more or a hundred percent less. That makes no sense. You should be if you like both bets the same, you should be wagering the same amount. On both guys. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Uh, USFL. Let's go ahead and start with my Houston Gamblers, which I don't claim. These aren't the real Houston Gamblers. Jim Kelly's not there. They're not playing in Houston. I don't count it. But they are, have they taken over the spot as the wor- the worst team in the USFL? Oh, God, no. The Pittsburgh Maulers. But the Maulers beat the Gamblers. It's no, the in gamblers. humiliating fashion. The Gamblers beat the, beat the, beat the Gamblers. Yeah, you know what happened? And I'll get to that game short, shortly. Real quick, I want to disclose my record. I'm four and nine in the USFL. This isn't even this isn't mathematically possible. Seemingly, I have beaten the closing number. I think on every bet, <laughs> every single one. And 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 I, I've argued um, RJ and I disagree with that. And, and he brings up a good point. He's like, well, some of the closing line value is self. Um, um, self created. Yeah, self created. Yeah. It's a better way to say. Hey, I give out. I give out a play, and the line moves. And yeah, let's let's compare the USFL market to some other sport. I mean, WNBA. Is, it's similar. Same. Similar. Okay. Yeah. Um, where you can get down a thousand, you know, on a side, pretty easy. But if you, it'd be hard to get down five thousand. Because I'll, I'll be on like closing line value. I, I you know, in a, like in the NFL or college football, I, I tend to believe in closing line value, but also in the NFL, a line is never going to move six points without an injury mm-hmm. but like in these in these leagues like when you tell me a line move five six points i say well that that just means that people are kind of guessing we are all guessing and you know i'll use an example with the totals the, the 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 liquidity isn't great enough in the market so i felt the totals had dropped too much a little by by a little bit um based upon the running clock first and third quarters they changed the rule week four that to shorten the game so the Ultimately, scoring went down a little bit week four, but then they came with totals that averaged 35. Bottom line, all four games went over last week because a lot of that was just the lower totals. Um, And the fact that the Pittsburgh Maulers actually were able to score at the end of the game uh, where the Gamblers gave that game away. By the way, they um, believe I'm getting the game right. So Pittsburgh has a a wide receiver um, gathers who gathered in quite a few passes and looked like... um, Uh, Look like Fred Bolitnikoff out there. So he was very impressive. Yes. The offense in general in the USFL trending up again. Yeah, we're starting to see the, you know, these old dinosaur coaches finally are employing some strategies like that. You're allowed to do a double forward pass if the Mm -hmm. first one's beyond the line of scrimmage. So the Michigan Panthers shocker utilized that, of course, big play touchdown when they um, when they went to that. These these older coaches are so bad at realizing 
you know, how powerful is that tool that you can throw a swing pass out and have your guy, th- you know, Frank Wycheck style, throw it down the field, um, and they just don't employ it. I know, I know. Normally, you're going to have guys down, you know, illegal men downfield, and so you have to train your blockers not to do that. But still, I mean, it's such a powerful concept. I'm biased. That's, we lived at when I used to play intramurals at Northwestern. The double pass was like one fourth of our plays. <laughs> And like you t- like you said, the market is just so immature that it's hard to to really gauge what's right and what's what's not at this point. Yeah. Now we we mentioned Pittsburgh's the worst team in the USFL, but clearly Houston is giving them competition. Now Houston, you could say, well, they should have beaten Pittsburgh. You know, Pittsburgh's clearly the worst, but you know, Houston has some shocking results. Where Houston's win was against the Michigan Panthers, they got outgained by 200 yards. Houston almost beat the New Orleans Breakers. They got outgained by 300 yards in that game. They almost beat Birmingham, the best team in the USFL. They got outgained by 130 yards. So Houston has a whole bunch of stinkers in terms of overall stats. A freebie out there. Line has moved. It's up to seven. Um, I, I, I would most certainly bet against Houston again. Take the New Jersey Generals minus seven. That's a free bet on the USFL. Um, and it was a client play as well. I'm four and nine. It'll be five and nine after the Houston Gamblers get pounded by Jersey. Is uh, Clayton Thorson, Northwestern Wildcat, Clayton Thorson still the quarterback? Yes, you know, just horrible. Just, Not good. Oh. I don't know how that guy is in any league. There's, um, you know, there's a lot of Northwestern quarterbacks floating around shocker. all over the place. You know, they, 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 the Simeons of the like and. Um, maybe they, they understand the X's and O's as well. I, I was looking because we had this debate on. But they went to Northwestern. <laughs> right. We had this debate on the Dream Pod about, you know, if, if the a, a middle of the road USFL team would beat a top tier college team. And if you if you look at a random USFL roster and you see where most of these guys went to school, it's like there's no way. But I, the USFL team, I, I really feel, would clobber a t- uh, the number 20 college team. If they played Miami of Florida, they crush Miami of Florida. I don't disagree with that. But but, but if they played Georgia's team last year, I've come around to Georgia it, would beat them. Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, th- those teams are littered with guys who will be in the NFL. And those and those teams are laying 14 to Notre Dame. Yes. You know, when they play in the, yes. in the Final Four, you know. So they, they, the, the, the what I didn't factor in well enough was the lack of disparity in college football and that the top four teams are so much better and the top two than the eighth best team where, I mean, we see it every year, you know, the poor Cincinnati teams – that um, have this epic breakout year, they still can't compete with Alabama. Like, you know, uh, there's always a few guys on every NFL roster who went to a, a small school. You might even occasionally get uh, an, an FCS guy. Mm-hmm. Like, here, for instance, this is the Gamblers roster. This is just a, a, a random draw of some of the schools that these guys went to. Alabama State, Villanova for football, mind you, Villanova football, Merrimack, Richmond, Monmouth, Gannon, and it's got Pennsylvania in uh, parentheses. Let me ask you, so so the, the guys that went to USC and couldn't catch on with an NFL team, did they just get blacklisted from the USFL? How come I, they're not? I honestly think they're, they are probably, their agents suggested that they work out and stay ready. Mm. That, that would be my guess. There's probably, you know, some East Coast, South, 
regionalization too that you know obviously if you if you, well gannon is in pennsylvania i see because of the parentheses i've never heard of gannon but it's in pennsylvania you would think that there'd be a lot of like birmingham like i know that um they just signed the former alabama running back you know to, you know one of the teams to play and the god what is his name begins with an s Scarborough, Scarborough's okay. playing now for um, in the USFL. Um, but you think there'd be more of that, you know? That it, it would w- make sense. But I, I get. I'm telling you, I think it feels like most of the guys who feel like they've still got a shot at the pros avoided this altogether, mm-hmm. which I think makes sense. Like uh, it, it, because it, it, I I would rather say, hey, I've been I've been working out on my own. I've been getting ready to play than say, yeah, I've been playing with this USFL team. So the so. USFL team can pound Minnesota or Northwestern, but um, they're not going to beat Georgia. They're okay. not going to beat Georgia. No. Yeah, the guys who are getting recruited to Central Oklahoma and William Jewell uh, probably not going to beat Alabama. You, you know, I'll go back to my 4-9 record. By the way, I'm 22-8 and eight in the NBA, 1-0 in the WNBA, So, and I'm up 63 units for the and, year. What, do you, you bet 63 units on the WNBA game? No, I'm 1-0. Oh. I'm, I was for all for all. Oh, sports. okay. For all sports. Yeah, I, I, I put I put My down, entire bankroll on the, the aces. I put you go. on this under, and I would never sweat it. So it was, Wow, good for you. So, so it was... It was, it was I, it was a good play. I'm sure it was easy to get 63k down on a WNBA game too. On a total, <laughs> yes. By by the way, I did watch the end game. Um, the WNBA is frustrating because I, I watched the end game of Seattle Chicago. All right. Sorry. So Seattle's up ten. <laughs> There's about a minute and a half left, and some of the stuff that you see in the end game is it's it's puzzling to say the least. Which included. Seattle um, misses. They're up three. They miss a shot. They get the rebound. Players, she's all alone. Um, there's 10 seconds to play. Of course, they're going to have to foul. She's, but she's not under no pressure yet. She's not forcing the ball down the court at all. She just like dribbles off the foot of her foot out of bounds. <laughs> it's like I don't recall seeing that happen very often in an NBA game in that situation. I don't think it does happen. Mm, it's, but it, 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 it's rather unusual. But um, I saw there was some place I forget even where it was, but there's a, a bar that's opened up called the Sports Bra. Sports Bra. They only play women's sports on the televisions there. Okay. I said, oh, well, this bar will last literally five minutes. This but this bar is destined to fail. Yeah, of course. Yeah, no yeah. one no one wants to, I mean. Every successful bar has pretty women in it that men are buying drinks, all right? So um, <laughs> now we're, I'm, all right, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to continue. Fair enough. I, I think I get where you're going. I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Uh, all right. Bottom line with the four and nine, um, you know what? Poker players, if if you have pocket queens and you go all in against ace king offsuit, you win fifty five percent of the time. I assure you, you can talk. Go go down to Bally's at the end of June and ask some poker players how how they're running, and they're like, "I'm four and nine with you know getting it all in was far better than queens against ace king." Yeah. And that's what you feel like's happening with you. I, I really do. All right, let's get to the NFL and the games of the year, the goys. My goodness, uh, everyone is coming hard and heavy with these numbers. So Westgate's just putting all their NFL games up. Um, some of the places have chosen yes or no to put up Cleveland games with Watson and when will he be coming back. Some have opted not to. But um, DraftKings has all their games of the year. William Hill has their games of the year. I've never seen them put up so early in the year. So obviously schedule analysis, find good spots, bad spots. You can bet it right now. 
you know, and not just bet it in one book, but shop around to different places. So um, I'll throw one out there. You know, week 15, the Saints, I'll ask you. The Saints are hosting Atlanta week 15. This is a, um, a revenge game for week one where, or a turnaround game for week one where the Saints at Atlanta are laying four and a half right now. Okay. Four to four and a half, I gave out minus four as a best bet. You can still get that week one. What should the line be in New Orleans week 15? Let's go with, I would guess, probably a close to 10. So you can lay five at DraftKings. Wow. It's right across the border. It's right there. Drive over Hoover Dam. You can you can get down, lay five. So wow. There you go. That's a best bet, not widely available. But I go back to, like, I talk about winning at sports is easy, all right? And that's an example where, yeah, you got to type your money for three months, and it's a pain in the butt. But it just, it just the bookmakers have no idea what they're doing. The, the, the B team and the C team better say, oh, you know, the bookies are really sharp. You got to respect what they're doing. Bullshit. The bookies, like, like, and I'll go back to, you know, there's a, are you aware there's a sports betting hall of fame? Are you aware of this? I'm not aware of that. Guess how many sports bettors are in that hall of fame? None. None. Guess how many? Billy Walters is not in that sports betting hall. But a bunch of bookmakers and and regulators and. Yeah, the Hogalis guy. I can't pronounce his name, who's won millions betting NBA totals. Not in the hall of fame, I believe. But, um, there's a whole bunch of old school um, guys, regulators, and the like. They're all in the Hall of Fame. Guess who votes to get to in the Hall? Of Fame? The old school regulator guys. So think about it, to draw an analogy. I mean, it really is silly. Um, imagine a poker Hall of Fame, all right, or a blackjack Hall of Fame. But it's all know, dealers. And it's all pit bosses <laughs> and and casino managers. What you know? Um, yet somehow in sports betting, the and and I'll go back to. You know what? If we had a snake draft and I was doing a, you know, which guy am I going to put? Which bookmaker am I going to put on my my team? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'll go ahead and grab Matt Metcalf and Jeff Benson over from Circa, and I'll go ahead and pick up um, Bogdanovich, of course, from from William Hill. So there are certainly guys, and I, I I apologize to those who I didn't include in this group, but it's a short list, okay? And there's some guys I'm sure that I'm unaware of that are also very good. Um, uh, Ed Salmon's over at Westgate, for instance. So, I mean, there's a little, the, 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 we're not talking about a null set here. But what's amazing to me is how many of the guys, like, I'll use an example, like Art Manteras. I would never pick Art Manteras. And I mean, he's probably, a, he probably was a great administrator and they probably, and compliance officer and senior vice president in charge of the station casinos. But I refuse to believe from anything that I ever saw that he would be a winning sports better. Yet I'm sure he's one of the guys in the sports betting hall of fame. I mean, no doubt, you know. So I, I like that you get angry about the sports betting hall of fame. It's just it, it it it's comical. I get angry about like the the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which just got announced like last I guess last week or two weeks ago. I was so pissed off about what, it. What exclusion are you upset about? Uh, the two bands that I don't understand how they've not gotten in yet. Uh, one is Rage Against the Machine. The other is Smashing Pumpkins. Well, at least I recognize Smashing Pumpkins. So. Okay, so those bands are being left out when like Dolly Parton and Harry Belafonte. And the Eurythmics are going into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, I know who all those people are, although I can't name a Harry Belafonte song. But the fact that Harry Belafonte is going into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Hmm. It's, it's, it doesn't... Is he rhythm and blues? What's this? 
I mean, he was like a, yeah, I guess a sort of a soul singer would be the mm-hmm. best way to describe it. Which, listen, Harry Belafonte's fine. But I let, think like, the Thompson twins should go in because I remember their song, Doctor, Doctor, <laughs> Can't You See I'm Burning, Burning, an 80s song that will never be played again. It will not be. Um, all right, let's talk about something that you've kind of changed your tune on a little bit. Yeah, so NFL draft. I used to talk every year. I said, draft doesn't matter. Draft doesn't matter. It doesn't move the numbers at all. You know I've come around to this. It does move the numbers. It's just that the betters, you know, we're, we're busy guys. We're betting the Mets. We're, you know, we're betting the Yankees. We're betting WNBA. We're betting so many things. We're like, well, we'll get to this. We'll get to this NFL bets. These guys aren't going to come up for a while. The season wins aren't going to come up for a while. And I think that's why historically, right after the draft, you see no movement, despite teams being graded as really good drafts, really bad drafts. Well, this year, there's been a a change that I'm seeing that, and we did talk about the Jets. The Jets were the universal winner of the draft, and I said, bet the Jets over five and a half. It's going to go up, and it did go up to six. And to be fair, when I said bet over five and a half, I said lay a dollar twenty-five. And I don't want to pass post because I just told four guys, stop pass posting. I'm not going to call out any names. Don't want to embarrass my friend Brad or my friend the hitman about, like, always talk about all these bets that they got that are no longer there. But the point is that everyone's going to bet the Jets. Um, and so you can still get over five. Over five and a half minus 50 is, like, the number in the Jets right now. And you can play that. But um, And uh, shout out to Scott uh, Seidenberg, who took me for 300 on this. The <laughs> Eagles are another team that everyone's raving about. Oh, the Eagles are buy-on, and they're doing everything right. And boom, the Eagles' season win number, I kind of slept on it. it. It it went up to 9.4. So it was like 8.7 <laughs> during the draft, and it's gone up more, way more than the Jets. You know, it's like just, just an absolute... Um, Blue Horseshoe loves the Philadelphia Eagles, and with good reason this year. So at this point, how do you get at the Eagles? Wait, you might want to look at the games of the year because they're still getting priced like an eight-and-a-half win team. So you can find outstanding bargains on the Eagles. I think like at Dallas, for instance, they're catching four. At home against Dallas, they're pick them. And I'm not sure Dallas is any better than the Eagles. And yet the net com- combo of those two games is Dallas laying four. So you're saying, in a way, these game of the years give you a chance to, like, if you don't want to, I mean, some in some of these cases, you're going to lock up your money for some time, but you don't have to lock it up to the very end of the season because you can say, okay, mm-hmm. this is a team I think is overrated. Here's where they match up with this team. I think that there's value. Like, for instance, I'm low on the Packers this year. The the Packers had their win total. The the only teams higher than their win total are the Bills and the Bucks. Yeah, Packers are sitting at like ten point nine, basically eleven under minus twenty. Right? So th- then I look at their schedule and I say, okay, they're at Tampa week three. That seems like one of the games that would be listed as a game of the year, right? Yeah. So what what kind of number can I get on Tampa hosting Green Bay week three? So Tampa should be laying three and a half, right? Yeah. Yeah. I would like that. So that's that's a but, way but, for but me. But we to... never lay three and a half because of the asymmetric risk. It's like one. I mean, we lay three and a half right before the game kicks off. But we never lay three and a half unless we're certain it's going to go higher. So find more creative ways to get to get at that to not have to um, to you know to lay the three and the that's fair because Tampa plays two road games to start the season at Dallas at the Saints. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't shock me if they lost either one of those games. Uh, so maybe they, their perception drops a little bit. 
the Packers have Vikings and Bears in week mm-hmm. one and two, less likely to lose those games. Although that virtual pick them against the Vikings. I do, and I do like the Vikings mm-hmm. in that situation too. But so maybe you're right. Maybe maybe it is better to wait. But yeah, that's what I'm looking at when the game of the year has come out. I'm instead of like, okay, well, I think this team should have more wins by the end of the season. I get a head to head in week three. That's the the stuff I'm looking and, for. I mean, you literally you want to bet stuff, and the hitman is king at, at this stuff. You want to lay two and a half when the line should be three and a half. You want to you want to get it really good stuff, not marginally good. Stuff. I mean, I'm talking Saints minus five hosting Atlanta when they're going to be ten. All right, don't f around with like like I kind of like this team, and maybe there's this is a 53 percent bet. Yeah, you should be finding 55 percent bet. I mean, because there's no way that the the one a good bookmaker would have trouble setting all these lines right, because they haven't gone through and looked at the scheduling differences, short road uh, weeks, things like that. Um, who they played before and after, so you can isolate bad spots. But just from a pure handicapping power rating perspective, like I said, you can bet New Orleans minus five against Atlanta. You you don't have to handicap. You just have to like, like my son could crush these numbers. Yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not kidding when I say Mike, he could, you know, I mean, he really, he really, it's like, well, why doesn't everyone have that? Because no, why? Cause they're too busy effing around with stupid stuff like betting NBA totals during the playoffs. I am 22 and eight in the playoffs. So maybe, maybe this is a bad example, but you get my point. Good luck finding 55% plus bets on the NBA playoffs versus finding it in a game of the year. I know you got to tie up several your money, weeks out. Yeah. Or several but, months but, out, but, but, but I, I know most of you have some money in the stock market. How's that been doing for you? Right. You know, you're earning crypto. Yeah. You're finding, you're finding 55% bets in your, in your crypto. My goodness. All right. Let's talk about the NBA and it, we're down to four teams. Both these series as we're recording at one Oh, both blowout wins. I asked you and I, before the show. I want I want to get your answer now. Is it, it do we overreact more to a game one blowout in the opening round of the playoffs versus the conference finals? Because I feel both those games were non-competitive. Warriors dominated last night. The the Heat dominated, although the score was closer than the game was mm-hmm. uh, in their first game. Do you feel like that there is not enough of a reaction based off these one-game samples when we get late in the playoffs? And and then I respond, I don't know. (laughs) I think it all depends. Um, I do think when you've got a situation like a Celtics team and a Dallas team that really have done well in the playoffs and and obviously massively over-exceeded expectations, we're willing to give them a free pass that game one. That's, you know, Al Horford... Yeah, playing uh, smart's not playing short, short prep time sure. you know, from a tough series before. So I think, but that, that's also priced in like, right. Yep. The, the game, yep. the team that played the game seven is getting a little bit of a, 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 it is, it is. So I'm really not sure. Although I'll go back to, I think, well, let's look at these two series. So Boston was a minus minus one forty favorite mm-hmm. and the, um, uh, the map Mavs were like getting, you know, just under two to one. So basically, uh, Boston was supposed to win 57%, and you had a situation Golden State was supposed to win like 66%. Mm-hmm. These are competitive series. And so I said it all along, zigzag. So whoever won, wins game one in a competitive series, you want no part of them game two. So I would be surprised if we didn't see really good efforts in games two out of Boston and out of Dallas. And I'll also be surprised if we don't see money coming on both those teams. God, McKenzie just put this up. I'm telling you, shot quality for 
college basketball, like I'll, I'll watch games and go, you know what? That makes sense. Shot quality for the NBA, I think something's wrong with their their algorithm. Shot quality says the Mavericks should have won game one by two points and the Celtics should have won by three. You know what? I'm sorry, I keep dropping the F-bombs. F you, shot quality. <laughs> I'm, I'm blo- Not only am I deleting you, I'm blocking you. You know, at some point, when you get every game wrong, every blowout game, shot quality always has the game should have been a tie, you know? <laughs> it does at feel so- that way. At, at some point. No blowouts happen in the NBA. Yeah, at some point, you just say, you know what? You, I do not think these shot quality means what you think it means, as Indigo Mendoya says in, you know, Princess Bride. <laughs> Inconceivable. What, where are you looking as far as the, the NBA title at this point? I still think the Celtics are going to win. Okay. I Even still, down 1-0? You, like I, it. Obviously, the odds adjusted. They're a dog just to get to, to win the last round, but I still like the Celtics. You know, McKenzie did some good work yesterday to find if the and, – and RJ pushed it, obviously, but to find if the the change in the the series price was standard – Mm-hmm. Or driven by the fact that one team was so dominant, mm-hmm. and it turns out he's he, like McKenzie. The stuff that he pulled, McKenzie. I guess you can tell me. Like it, it basically says that the Heat. It, this was just. A, it could have been a two-point win, and it would have been the same adjustment. Yeah, based on the assumptions going in, if you didn't know about the injuries, if you didn't know about anything, all you knew was the two and a half spread, and you said the Heat won, and you did the binomial calculation, it would have said. Heat minus 140 should be the price. And if Boston had won, Boston goes to minus 210. It's just all mathematical, right? Right. So, yeah. I mean, if you like Boston, maybe it's a good thing that they lost game one because you were you were having to take minus money with the lower seed. Now you can get plus money, even though you've got to, you've got to give up a game, but you can get plus money in the series. Rather just grab the points tonight. Okay, cash, you play game by game. So you got more money to bet games of the year. And you could bet you could bet the Eagles minus three against totally crappy teams. Still, um, I would mention them, but there's like six of them. So go into games of the year and bet. And you know, like, the, the Eagles are, are chronically mispriced and still in the games of the year. So you can you can. And I won't even mention any of them. So that you know, so that they will stay out there. I did want to say about the NBA, and I want McKenzie's feedback on this. The number one theme of these NBA playoffs is they they suck. None of the games are close. They're not compelling. It seems to me, and maybe this goes back to shot quality and why shot quality isn't working, whoever hits their threes gets up double digits. It's a blowout, and there's no coming back from it. And I was thinking about this. Could it be argued that in the past we had a lot closer games because in these grinded-out, ugly effort games, getting the rebounds in the paint and you know, getting and possibly getting some favorable calls when you're down 10 were so important – and now none of that matters, and all that matters is you know who's who's hitting their threes each and every quarter. So if I'm up 14, you know, it's um it's still just random three balls, and so it's a lot harder to it's easier to stage a comeback because you're scoring by threes and sure. twos. It's also easier to go up by 25, where the um, the variance of the game just shoots through the roof, and being behind and having that sense of urgency, if anything, hurts you because it's in your head, oh, I really got to make this one as you're shooting a three. Your thoughts, McKenzie? 100%. You're dead on. I did this for the regular season. I haven't updated for the playoffs. This was the first year, uh, since 2003 at least, full database, that more than half the games were decided by 10-plus points. So it's been, you know, histor- historic how how – the margin has been. And Scott Seidenberg sent this in an email to us today. The margins in the NBA playoffs 
in 25 of the last 28 games, the team that won covered by five plus. It's all about style of play. Because when you're, and let me defend shot quality really quick. If shot quality would have told you the Mavericks were better than the Suns, coming into game seven, you would have laughed at them. They're six and a half point dogs. They looked better than the Suns. In, in a large sample size, I think the shot quality actually is some, some valuable info. Hmm, it seems like shot quality is always going to tell me take the underdog, though, based upon, am I wrong? Well, I think shot quality is going to tell you that the team that lost should have won. Oh, That's yeah. what we've seen in the playoffs. Well, it just seems like every game should have landed, should have been 101-100, according uh, they're, to Yeah, they're all quality. right, perfectly lined. It's very, it's very odd. Um, I, do, I do think the, it's a great stat from, from, from Scott. Um, the, it used to be when you had the lead, if you're up 15 in the NBA, you, 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 the clock is your friend, not your opponent. Sure. And teams would like take the air out of it. And you know, Popovich was always a great proponent not to do that. How many times would you see him in the playoffs with the Spurs? Pace, pace. I want pace. And I still see Becky Hammond, a disciple of him, you know, with the Las Vegas Aces, they play the same way, you know, fast, fast, fast. And it makes sense. You get the lead. You're the better team. You've been that day. You've been outplaying the other team. Why in the hell would you stop doing what has been so successful? There's a 24-second clock. Whether they shoot it eight seconds in or 14, it doesn't matter. All you got to do is keep scoring and you win. So I do think that's been a change also, McKenzie. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, hell, teams are up 40, and they're yeah. pushing the pace. Yeah, and, and both teams start doing that, and then you get sloppy games where the Mavericks were in it until they lost by 30 because they were down by 15 in the third quarter, had to press it, had to take some bad shots, and Warriors pulled away. All right, let's get in a little bit of baseball before we get out of here. All right, I'm going to put the sell sign on the Mets. The It's obvious sometimes, oh, the Yankees are really good. Uh, the Dodgers are really good. But by the way, the Dodgers did have to play 15, 17 games in 15 days. So even though they have a day off, be a little careful because they're carrying fatigue. But um, the, the teams playing really well tend to keep really playing well. And in general, my basic strategy, like on season wins and the like, is to, like if the Reds suck, keep playing the Reds under 65 wins. If the Yankees are good, keep playing the Yankees over 98 wins. How quick are you to jump off your original thoughts? Because I know you were against the Astros coming into the season. Um, I'm very quick to jump off my pre-flop thoughts. Okay? okay. But when the Astros start kicking ass, yeah, I'm dead. I played the Astros under, I'm dead. Played the Astros over 95. The, the over, their current number is 95 and a half. Yeah. I played pre-flop under 92 and a half. If you ask me, who do I like at 95 and a half? You're like, oh, you get three more games of value. No, bullshit. You the like value's the on the still. over. I was wrong. Yeah. The Astros are good. And they're going to win 98 games. So, okay. yes, in general, more of the same from what the, the season has shown me, except for the Mets. I think the Mets are a team that won a whole bunch of games really fortuitously. All right? They played well, and they got the breaks. And now we got a situation. Apparently, DeGrom is getting closer to coming back, but he's still out. Scherzer takes himself out of the game when he's pitching to Matt Pujols. I tell you what, Albert Pujols, sorry. If, if there's one batter I'm going to face, it's Albert Pujols if I'm a yeah. pitcher, then asking to be taken out of the game. Sorry, Fat Albert. Um, so the uh, I'm worried there's something wrong with Scherzer. McGill came in, opening day started for the Mets. He's got a bicep issue. He's injured. So all of a sudden I got three good pitchers for the Mets all stacking up together. That's an issue. So if there was one team I might look to uh, go ahead and change from buy to sell, it would be the Mets, a team that I played, frankly, a whole bunch under 91 wins, and I played a whole bunch over 
and the season win market once they started out, you know, at like ten and three, and you know, twenty and, and eleven or whatever they started, I could see the Mets playing five hundred ball now for uh, the next month or so. Okay, so you're going to be invested on both sides of the Mets then. So, but going forward, all that matters, and all things being equal, I'd be looking to bet against the Mets in the second half of May, and then we'll assess where they're at in June. All right. Well, that will do it, friends, for another episode of the Fezic Focus podcast. Great work, as always, Fez. Love that you uh, you put these together. Mackenzie, thank you for your work, and thanks to you guys for listening. Spread the word. Tell your friends. Subscribe. Subscribe. Week 15, we're going to make the Saints minus six, hosting Atlanta the best bet. If it does not win, I will lose a lot of money. That is, that's a crazy number to me, especially given that it's four and a half still for the week one game. Mm-hmm. That just doesn't make sense. Uh, all right. Thank you, guys, and we will talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.